Uh, Let's pray as we come to read from God's word and begin a new sermon series in the book of Colossians. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we love you and we love your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, who has sought to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, I pray as we read from Colossians and I preach, you would speak, you would move mightily by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would um, give us great thankfulness in our hearts this morning for all you have done in our lives and in the lives of Christians around us and around the world. So thank you, Lord. And I pray that this would be a sermon that would make us burst with thanksgiving. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, we're starting a new sermon series in the book of Colossians, which was a letter written by the Apostle Paul in probably 62 AD. So, about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. And I've entitled this sermon very simply, Thank You, God, because... At the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, Paul is just overflowing with thankfulness. And I hope that this morning all of us will be bursting with thankfulness and prayer because of what God the Father has done through Christ the Son for you and for Christians around the world. Are you bursting with thankfulness? Yeah, Laurie's bursting with thankfulness. Is anyone else bursting? Yeah, we want to be thankful Christians um, this morning. So let's read um, Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a great start to a letter, hey? I wish I could write letters that fantastic. And, and you know, it gets even better from verse 15 onwards. Anyway, um, after the greeting in verses 1 and 2, I wonder whether you can see a structure in those verses. From verses 3 to 8, Paul and Timothy, who write this letter, They're just full of thanksgiving. They're thanking God. So verses 3 to 8 are all about thanking God. And then from verses 9 to 14, 
Paul and Timothy pray to God and ask him to work in the Colossian church. So my sermon this morning has two sections. Section one is all about thanksgiving and section two is all about prayer. So let's start with section one, verses three to eight, and this amazing burst of thanksgiving that Paul begins his letter um, to the Colossian church with. And the first thing I want us to see in this text is that Paul teaches us to thank God for other Christians. Paul loves to thank God for Christians and churches all over the world. Do you know Paul writes 13 letters that are written in the New Testament and in nine out of 13 of those letters, Paul tells the recipients of the letter, I thank God for you. He's always writing to people and going, I'm so thankful for you. I love to pray. I never stop thanking God for you as Christians and for you as a church. And you see in verse three, we always... Thank God the Father when we pray for you. Whenever he thinks of the Colossian church, Paul just has to thank God for this church. And that begs a really challenging question to ask, doesn't it? Are we like Paul and Timothy? Do we love to thank God for one another in this church? And do we love to thank God for fellow Christians all around the world? Ought we not to make that part of our prayer life, that when we come before God in prayer, whether it be on a Sunday or whether it be privately in our own home, ought we not to be thankful for the other Christians who are around us and in our lives and also the Christians on the other side of the globe who are worshipping God as well? It's amazing to think that this Sunday, Christians all over the world will gather to sing praises to God, to open the Bible and to hear God's word preached. Isn't that something that makes your heart sing with thanksgiving? Now, specifically, in the, at the beginning of this letter, Paul thanks God in verse 4 because of their faith in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing he lists. That's the first thing that's making him thankful. I'm thankful that in Colossae, there are people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to do something very, very dangerous. Look around the room just for a moment at the other Christians in here. Now, what do you see? What do you see when you look around? I don't, I don't want any answers from the floor. But um, do you see perfect people and a perfect church that always gets it absolutely spot on? Well, no, unfortunately, you don't, you don't see that. That's not what you see when you look around the room. But what you do see when you look around this room is a bunch of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Hopefully all of us, but perhaps not all of us, but many people in this room who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And because they put their faith in Jesus, they have received eternal salvation. They have received eternal hope stored up in heaven. This, the people in this room are people who have hope because of what Christ has done for them and the hope that is in heaven for us that will be there eternally and one day we'll enter into the new heavens and the new earth and, and enter into that glorious hope. You look around this room and you see people who have been forgiven by God the Father of the things that they have done wrong because of Christ's death upon the cross. You look around this room and you see people who have a relationship with God. We don't just say God is holy, 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 awesome, but so distant. No, we say God is our Father, and I pray to him, and I know him, and he loves me, and I love him. I hope as you look around this room, you go, my love for God is increasing. 
My thankfulness to God is increasing because I'm surrounded by people who also love God and have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I think that that is something worth thanking God for, isn't it? He has begun a work in us and the work that he begins, he will bring to completion. Lord, thank you that in Christ Church Fairham, there are people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ because that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, as Paul thinks about the Colossian church and he's thanking God for their faith in Jesus, he can't help but also get excited. You often find this in Paul's letters. He sometimes writes long sentences. I don't know whether you noticed that that was a long sentence that I read. He sometimes writes long sentences at the beginning of his letters because he just gets excited. And here he's praying for the Colossian church and thanking God. And he gets excited. He starts to pray for the whole world. Like, thank God for all the fact that the fruit of the gospel is working all around the world. Verse 6, he says, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ has come to you and it's bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world you know that's this is this is how we need to thank God thank you Lord that there are people in Fairham who've placed their faith in Jesus and I thank you that it's not just Fairham it's gospel and it's Hedge End and it's Hampshire and it's the UK and it's all around the world the gospel is being proclaimed and bearing fruit and increasing do you, do you know here in this country we might be um, discouraged because we think that we're becoming a more secular country and that Christianity is decreasing and that might be true for the United Kingdom right now we pray for a, a reverse of that and that the spirit would move in power but that might be true for the United Kingdom but around the world the gospel is being proclaimed and Christian numbers are increasing as more and more people believe in Jesus Christ. Do you think about that when you pray? Or are you going, oh Lord, man, it's so miserable in this country, like no one believes in God anymore. Or do you think, wow, in Asia, the gospel is being proclaimed. India, the commission churches in India uh, just have planted so many churches in the last five to ten years that they're making the UK. It's embarrassing us in the UK because they're, they're so good at starting new churches and proclaiming the gospel. Do you think about the way God is moving around the world? Lord, thank you for what you're doing all over the world. And then as Paul reflects on Colossae and he reflects on just a church and then he reflects on the whole world and what's going on in the world, he also thinks about the faithfulness of just one man, Epaphras doesn't he? He's grateful for this fellow servant, this man who's been a faithful minister, this one who's proclaimed the gospel. This is such a great lesson in how to be thankful. I wonder whether you pray for this. Thank you for the church. Thank you for what you're doing in the world. And thank you for this specific person who's just so blessed me by their faithful ministry and their love for you, Jesus. So Paul, at the beginning of this letter, teaches us to be thankful. But in this first section of thanksgiving, he also shows us the value, the fruit, and the impact of faith. Or another way of putting that is, when you put your faith in Christ, how does your life change? As Paul's thanking God, he answers that question. When you put your faith in Christ, how does your life change? So have a look at verse 4, where Paul says, We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Do you know that when you place your faith in Jesus for salvation, you begin to grow a love for other Christians? Christ loved the church so much that he died on the cross for the church. That's how much he loves the church. That's how much he loves Christians. So when you place your faith in Christ and begin to follow him, 
what you find is that his love for the church begins to rub off on you and transform your heart. It's why I think it's pretty much impossible to be a Christian and not be part of a local church because how are you loving other saints if you're just isolated and by yourself? No, you go and be part of the local church so that you can love others because you love Christ and Christ loves the church and that's transforming your heart and you're growing in love for the saints. So how does your life change when you put your faith in Christ? You grow over time. It takes time to love the church. As I said, the church is imperfect and doesn't get everything right. But Christ still loves the church. And so as Christians, when we grow in faith, we also grow in love for other Christians. Let me ask you some difficult questions then. Do you love other believers, other Christians? Are you actively expressing that love in words and deeds? And are you growing in your love for other Christians? If you're not thankful for other Christians in your prayer life, it's probably something that you want to pray about and say, Lord, I want to love other Christians because you love the Christians. And I want to be thankful for other Christians in my life because Paul was so thankful in the opening of his letter to the Colossians. And so pray, Lord, just increase, warm my heart to love the people around me like you love them, Lord. You are my saviour. You are my Lord. I'm following you. I'm placing my faith in you. May that faith lead to growth in love towards Christians around me. So when you place your faith in Christ, you grow a love for other saints and believers. But it's not just love that increases in your life when you place your faith in Christ. It's also hope. Christians aren't miserable, downcast, hopeless individuals who just are always just so, oh, there's nothing to be thankful for. There's nothing to be hopeful. They're not. Christians are people who say, my saviour died and rose again in glory and laid up for me an eternal paradise and relationship with God in heaven. This is what Christ has done. So whatever I'm going through in life, this is always going to be true. This hope is always going to be here. I'm never hopeless. I always have such glorious hope because of what Christ has done. When the world brings you challenges, fix your eyes on the hope in heaven for you. That's what Paul's writing about in verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So when you put your faith in Christ, you grow in love and you grow in hope. I want us, I want for myself, I want personally to be a love-filled guy and I want to be a hope-filled guy and I want us as a church to be filled with love and filled with hope because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. As we place our faith in Christ, we're growing in love and growing in hope. But the third thing that I want to see in this opening section, this thankfulness section of the letter, is where does their faith come from? Where does their faith in Christ come from? How is it that the people in Colossae have come to have faith in Christ Jesus that's making Paul so thankful at the beginning of this letter? Well, look at verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And then have a look at verse 6, the end of verse 6. You heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So how did the people in, in Colossae become Christians? They heard the gospel. They heard the word of truth. And they understood grace. As they heard the good news of Jesus Christ, they understood that they could not earn a relationship with God by their own works. They could not earn themselves into God's good books. 
but they needed to receive grace, which means unmerited favour, an undeserved blessing in your life. They understood grace, and they understood that Christ on the cross was winning them something that they did not deserve. Their forgiveness, their hope laid up for them, their eternal life. So they heard the gospel, they believed it, and they understood grace. That's how they came to place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. But verse 7 is absolutely massive for me. How did they hear it? How did they hear this good news? How did they understand the grace? Well, because a man called Epaphras taught it to them, a faithful minister of Christ. And one lesson as we read about Epaphras, one thing we learn is that church leaders must faithfully minister by proclaiming the gospel and by teaching grace. Church leaders must do that. They must preach the good news of Christ and they must teach grace. And if we don't do it in this church, then run away and go and find a church that does. Leave immediately. If we stop preaching the gospel, if we stop teaching you about the grace of God, run away. Never come back. That's one thing we learn from Epaphras, that we need church leaders who preach grace, who preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Who are the ministers in the church? Is it me? Am I the minister? I'm the minister. I do all the works of ministry in Christ Church Verum. Is that how we function as a church? No, it's absolutely not how we function as a church. The answer is that if you are a Christian, you are called to be a minister. Let me read to you Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. This is Christ describing the church, and he says, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry. So why do we have leadership in church? Why do we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers? In order to equip everybody in the church for the works of ministry. We're all ministers. So when we read about Epaphras, the faithful minister, you know, our temptation because of church history is to think about a man behind a pulpit and doing ministry. But that's not how we think of ministry in this church. We think of ministry as each and every one of us serving God, loving God, sharing the good news with others. We're all ministers. If you're a Christian in this room, you're called to be ministers of the gospel. How are our friends and our families and our neighbours going to put their faith in Christ? Well, they need to hear the gospel, don't they? And that means that a faithful minister needs to go and tell them the good news and teach them about grace. And as I reflected on Epaphras and these verses in Colossians, two things really sat on my heart that I hope that we will take away from this morning. And the first is this question. Are we all accepting our identity as ambassadors for Christ, as ministers of the gospel? Have we ever thought of ourselves in that way before? Are we entering into that identity going, yeah, I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. Christ is with me wherever I go. Do you know what Christ said to the disciples um, after he'd risen from the dead? He said, surely I'm with you only on Sunday mornings. No, that's not what he, that's not what he said after he rose from the dead. No, Christ said to his, his disciples, and he says to us, surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Wherever you go, if you are a Christian, Christ is with you by his Holy Spirit, and he is equipping you and strengthening you and and giving you boldness to be a minister in your workplace, in your family, in your neighbourhood, in your street. You are a minister. You are an ambassador for Christ. You know, God created you. 
And he did an awesome job of it when he created you. And he created you in such a way, and he is equipping you in such a way to be a minister in whatever you do in your life. He's put things in you so that you can reach the people around you. He's created you to be a minister for his good news, for his gospel. Are we living out that identity in our lives? Like Epaphras was. Could Paul write of you? Oh, this person was a faithful minister. You heard the gospel from them. Or they invited you to church and you heard the gospel there. We're all ministers for Christ. And we should be bold to go for it and to trust in Christ's power in us. And then the other thing that really sat on my heart from Epaphras is when we share about Jesus, are we teaching grace? Are we helping people understand grace? I don't know about you, but a lot of my conversations about Christianity start off with someone apologising to me for something they've done wrong. Like, uh, certainly when I play hockey, someone will swear and they'll go, oh, I'm really sorry, Duncan, as if I'm really offended by the fact they swear. In other words, what that person has in their brain is Duncan's a Christian. That means he has a load of rules about how he should live life, including that we shouldn't swear and, uh, and other things as well. And so their understanding of Christianity isn't grace, it's legalism. Their understanding of Christianity is that it's just a bunch of rules to follow and God will love you. And so I need to be a witness that explains grace. I need, I need to say, hey, it doesn't bother me that you swear. Do you know, I get things wrong all the time as well, but my God is a God of forgiveness. And even though I'm a mess, I can come to church. Share something like that. That's a tiny bit of grace in a simple sentence shared in a moment. We need to be ministers of the gospel who explain grace to the people around us. I wonder maybe whether there's a challenge here for you to pray for an opportunity to share the good news, to teach grace to somebody that you might have the words in those moments to share, that you might have the humility to share grace rather than legalism. You know, if you do proud evangelism, you go, I'm fantastic, I'm such a brilliant person, and that's why I go to church every Sunday. But if you're humble, you say, yeah, I needed forgiveness, I've done things wrong, and I needed Christ to die for me on the cross. And, you know, I'd love you to come and explore whether that's true for you as well. So, in that section of thanksgiving, Paul teaches us to be really thankful Christians for the other Christians in our lives. He teaches us that faith in Christ is something worth thanking God for. And he teaches us that faith leads to love and to hope. And he teaches us that we need to be ministers of grace to the people around us. And then in verse 9, Paul moves into praying. So he's done all his thanking God in the first few verses. And then he says, but even though I'm thanking God for loads of stuff, I've still got some things to pray for you as well. So I'm going to pray for you. I love verse 9. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Wow, what a sentence. I wonder whether you could write that to a church. Christchurch Fairham, since the day I walked in the door, I've not ceased praying for the church because I long to see God move even more wonderfully in this church. And what is he praying for? What's Paul praying for in these verses? Well, he's praying in verse 9 that they would be filled with knowledge of God's will that they would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the first thing Paul's praying for, that they would have knowledge of God's will. Not just head knowledge, not just, you know, brainy theology. That's not really what Paul's praying for. What Paul is praying for is that they would have knowledge that changes their lives. Look at verse 10. The reason I want you to have knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and all understanding is that so you would walk in a manner 
worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We preach truth in order that we might grow in the knowledge of God's will, that we might grow in wisdom and understanding in order that it change our our lives and the way that we live, in order that we would fully please God because God has shown us such grace and love in our lives. So we want to live lives that are fully pleasing to him. And that's what Paul's praying for this church. May you increase in knowledge and understanding and wisdom so that you might walk in a way that fully pleases God. Now, the thing I love, really love about Paul's prayer from verse 9 onwards is the number of times Paul uses the word all or every. Verse 9, he's praying for all spiritual wisdom. In verse 10, fully pleasing to God. And also in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. In verse 11, strengthened with all power and for all endurance and patience. This is not a small prayer that Paul is praying. You're not going, oh, just have a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of... No, he's going, I want you to have all power. I want to have all wisdom and understanding, all endurance and patience. Imagine your life for a moment if you had all the wisdom and all the good works. There was never a good work opportunity that you missed. You were equipped for every good work. If you had all the power of God strengthening you and all the endurance and all the patience in your life, what would your life look like if that's the way you were living? Imagine what this church would be like if we were living in all the power of God and all the endurance and patience that he provides. Well, I think that's worth praying for. I think we should be praying for that in our lives. Lord, these, these, all these alls that Paul is using, I pray for myself and I pray for the church, Lord. Do we not have a generous God who loves to answer prayer? Do we, do we picture God holding back wisdom that we need? Oh, I'm not going to give that bit of wisdom. I'm going to hold, hold on to that. No, we have a God who loves to give good gifts. And when we pray for wisdom, God gives wisdom. Let's be bold to ask. Let's be bold like Paul to ask for all the wisdom, all the good works, all the power of God strengthening us, all the endurance and all the patience. Because that's what I want. I want my life to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in these things. And I want our church life to grow and increase in all these things. So let's pray for that. As Paul prays these big, huge prayers for the Colossian church, where does he turn in verse 12? He could start dwelling upon the future and thinking, I'm praying for all these things because I see that this church is just going to do magnificent things for the kingdom. He could could then start listing all the future things that he sees prophetically for the Colossian church. But actually, that's not what he does in verse 12. In verse 12, he remembers the amazing things that God has already done in the lives of these Christians. And and so I'm going to finish with this point this morning. Don't be afraid to pray big prayers because God has already done astonishing things for you. And we're going to look at verses 12 to 14 and consider and dwell and meditate on the astonishing things that God has done for us. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're so, so welcome. Thank you for being here. These are the things that God can do for you if you place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning. We would invite you to do that, to believe in Jesus and his death upon the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, to believe that he is Lord and Saviour. But if you are a Christian, these are things that God has already done for you. 
in verses 12 to 14. And firstly, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Imagine um, Jeff Bezos. Is he the richest man in the world? I don't know. Imagine Jeff Bezos um, dies, and in his will, he's left all his billions of pounds to you, and you receive this humongous inheritance from this rich, rich man. That would be a big worldly financial inheritance, but it would fall a long way short of the inheritance every Christian has from God. This is what a Christian can look forward to. Heavenly glory in the presence of God. One day you will see God face to face and be welcomed as a son or daughter of the king. Isn't that just phenomenal? Phenomenal. Worth so much more than billions and billions of pounds. This inheritance is described in the Bible as unspoilt, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. There's no pain or tears or death or illness. And do you know the most wonderful thing about the inheritance that you have waiting for you? It's capped most gloriously by this face-to-face relationship with God. God will dwell with human beings on the earth. We will be with him always and forever. You know, as Christians, we have this glorious blessing now that we have a relationship with God. It's it's wonderful. We pray, he hears us, and he speaks to us through his word and prophetically. We have a relationship with God, but there's something even more glorious waiting for us in heaven when we see God face to face. Notice that we don't qualify ourselves for that inheritance that we receive in verse 12. But our loving Father, because he's a God of grace, has qualified us to share in this inheritance with the saints in light. Verse 13, there's another glorious blessing described by Paul. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness. The power of evil, the power of darkness, once reigned over you. It enslaved you and trapped you, and imprisoned you in darkness, so you could not enjoy relationship with God. You couldn't even see that God existed. You were in a dreadful state from which no one can escape in their own strength. But Christ, the Son, has defeated Satan and the power of darkness. The king of light has overcome the darkness. In his death upon the cross, he breaks the chains of sin around your uh, wrists and ankles. He rescues us from our imprisonment and he ushers in a new domain, a new kingdom. You were once trapped in the dominion of darkness, but if you're a believer in Christ this morning, Christ has set you free and brought you into a kingdom of light. And do you see how Paul describes it? It's the kingdom of the beloved son. Christ is the king and he is the beloved son. I love how he, even as he's talking about our transition from darkness into light, he also just mentions that Christ is beloved. The Father loves the Son. God the Father loves God the Son. That's just linked in there. And so the King of the Kingdom is the beloved Son, Christ our Lord and Saviour. He's a kind and compassionate, loving and powerful and glorious King. And we are citizens 
in Christ's kingdom. You were once trapped in the domain of darkness, but now if you are a Christian, you live in the kingdom of the beloved, beloved son. One question I have about this kingdom is, is this kingdom full of guilt? If Christ has done all this amazing stuff, is, is this a kingdom where we just feel guilty that our king is so much better than us as citizens? Are we filled with guilt in this kingdom of the beloved son? Well, no, we're not. Because th- verse 13 says, redemption from the domain of darkness comes from the forgiveness of sin. When God the Father looks at you, if you are a Christian, He doesn't see any of the bad stuff you've done in your life. He doesn't see any of the bad stuff you will do in your life because we continue to mess up and get things wrong. No, he sees the righteousness of Christ. You blameless in his sight. You have been redeemed and forgiven from the domain of darkness. So you enter into the kingdom of light, clothed in robes of light, given to you by Christ who died for you upon the cross. You are completely forgiven in the kingdom of Christ this morning because our King Jesus died for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. What outstanding and glorious truth. What wonderfully good news we have read about in Colossians. What a saviour we have in Jesus. What a king we have in Jesus. Look at what the Father has done for us already. How can we be afraid to pray more big prayers? If this is what God has done for us, if this is what God the Father has done for us already, how bold can we be in prayer? Well, really bold. He's already done so much for us. In Romans, it it says that God has given us his son. How will he not also give us all things, everything that we need, he will give to us. So let's pray for wisdom and power and patience and good works. But let's use that little word all or that little word every as we pray. Lord, all wisdom in this situation, all power in this situation, all patience and endurance during this difficult season in my life. And may I be ready and equipped for every good work that you would have me do, Lord God. God has already done great things. I'm unafraid to pray these big prayers for myself, but more importantly, for other Christians, because that's what this passage is all about, praying for other Christians. And so... So draw to a close, I'm going to invite um, the band up to just play some background music for us, or Rob up to play some background music for us. And we're going to spend some time praying. Now, you don't have to do this, um, especially if you're a visitor or you don't feel comfortable. You don't have to do this. But I would love us to move into groups of twos, threes and fours and just pray for each other. Pray for this church and pray for one another and pray the prayers that are in this passage. Thanks. Start with thanksgiving. Thank you for my brother or sister who I'm praying for. And then move into prayer. Give them all wisdom. Give them all power. I just love us to split into little groups and pray together. But if you prefer, you're welcome to just pray where you are by yourself. You can sit or stand. It's completely completely up to you Um, but I just want us to go into a time of prayer because surely if this passage does anything for us it invites us to be thankful to God and it invites us to pray for one another so I'm going to pray and then the band will play and create some background noise for you kind of move around and move chairs you know drown out the noise of the chairs as you um, as you pray for each other however you want to do that and then when I think we're done I'll stand up and pray and close our meeting so let me pray let's stand you can sit back down again if you want to later but let me let me pray for us And then we'll move into groups to pray. Lord God, I thank you for the faith in Christ Jesus that is in this room. 
you have changed so many lives, Lord God. You are a God of love and a God of power. And there are people in this room who've been delivered from the domain of darkness into your glorious kingdom of light. Lord, I'm so grateful for myself, but I'm so thankful for the others in this room and the others around the world who that you've done that for in your power and your glory. I thank you that your gospel is increasing and bearing fruit all around the world. I pray, Lord, you would bear more fruit here in Fareham and the regions around, Lord God. I pray that your gospel would increase here in this place. But Lord, I thank you that around the globe, people daily, moment by moment, are believing in Christ and receiving love growing in love for other saints and receiving hope laid up in heaven for that. Lord, we have so much to thank you for. You're such a good and wonderful God. And Lord, I pray for us as a church, would you fill us with knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might walk in a manner worthy of you, Lord. Would we bear fruit in every good work and increase in knowledge of you? May you strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And may we give thanks to you, Father, who has done astonishing things for us in delivering us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light and giving us an inheritance that will never perish and never fade. Lord, I just pray that you would bless us during this time of prayer for one another. I pray this would be a significant moment as we pray for each other. In Jesus' name, amen.